Welcome to Fast Asleep. Whether you're here to embark on a wonderful night's sleep or just to listen to an exceptional story, it's nice to have you with us. So, born in beautiful San Francisco, this episode's author wrote one of the best ghost stories ever written. I bet you've seen the movie. The Haunting of Hill House. All right, sorry, no ghost story today. I want you to sleep. However, our author, Shirley Jackson, has woven us a tale that has um, an unusual undercurrent. See what you think about it. Please tuck in and enjoy. One Ordinary Day with Peanuts. Mr. John Philip Johnson shut his front door behind him and went down his front steps into the bright morning with a feeling that all was well with the world on this best of all days. And wasn't the sun warm and good? And didn't his shoes feel comfortable after the resoling? And he knew that he had undoubtedly chosen the very precise tie that belonged with the day and the sun and his comfortable feet. And after all, wasn't the world just a wonderful place? In spite of the fact that he was a small man, and though his tie was perhaps a shade vivid, <laughs> Mr. Johnson radiated a feeling of well-being as he went down the steps and onto the dirty sidewalk and he smiled at people who passed him, and some of them even smiled back. He stopped at the newsstand on the corner and bought his paper saying, good morning, with real conviction to the man who sold him the paper and the two or three other people who were lucky enough to be buying papers when Mr. Johnson skipped up. He remembered to fill his pockets with candy and peanuts, and then he set out to get himself uptown. He stopped in a flower shop and bought a carnation for his buttonhole and stopped almost immediately afterward to give the carnation to a small child in a carriage who looked at him dumbly and then smiled. And Mr. Johnson smiled and the child's mother looked at Mr. Johnson for a minute and then smiled too. When he had gone several blocks uptown, Mr. Johnson cut across the avenue and went along a side street, chosen at random. He did not follow the same route every morning, but preferred to pursue his eventful way in wide detours, more like a puppy than a man intent upon business. It happened this morning that halfway down the block, a moving van was parked and the furniture from an upstairs apartment stood half on the sidewalk, half on the steps, while an amused group of people loitered, examining the scratches on the tables and the worn spots on the chairs and a harassed woman trying to watch a young child and the boobers and the furniture all at the same time giving the clear impression of endeavoring to shelter her private life from the people staring at her belongings. Mr. Johnson stopped and for a moment joined the crowd and then he came forward and 
touching his hat civilly, said, Perhaps I can keep an eye on your little boy for you? The woman turned and glared at him distrustfully. And Mr. Johnson added hastily, We'll sit right here on the steps. He beckoned to the little boy, who hesitated and then responded agreeably to Mr. Johnson's genial smile. Mr. Johnson took out a handful of peanuts from his pocket and sat on the steps with the boy, who at first refused the peanuts on the grounds that his mother did not allow him to accept food from strangers. Mr. Johnson said that probably his mother had not intended peanuts to be included since elephants at the circus ate them. And the boy considered and then agreed solemnly. They sat on the steps cracking peanuts in a comradely fashion. And Mr. Johnson said, so, you're moving. Yep, said the boy. Where are you going? Vermont. Oh, nice place. Plenty of snow there. Maple sugar, too. You like maple sugar? Sure. Plenty of maple sugar in Vermont. You going to live on a farm? Going to live with Grandpa. Grandpa like peanuts? Sure. Well, you ought to take him some said Mr. Johnson, reaching into his pocket. Just you and Mommy going? Yep. Well, I'll tell you what, Mr. Johnson said. You take some peanuts to eat on the train. The boy's mother, after glancing at them frequently, had seemingly decided that Mr. Johnson was trustworthy because she had devoted herself wholeheartedly to seeing that the movers did not what movers rarely do, but every housewife believes they will, crack a leg from her good table or set a kitchen chair down on a lamp. Most of the furniture was loaded by now, and she was deep in that nervous stage when she knew there was something she had forgotten to pack, hidden away in a back of a closet somewhere, or left at a neighbor's and forgotten, or on the clothesline. Mm. She was trying to remember, under stress, what it was. This old lady, the chief mover said, completing her dismay. Uncertainly, she nodded. Hey, you want to go on the truck with the furniture, Sonny? The boy at the mover, rather, asked the boy and laughed. And the boy laughed too and said to Mr. Johnson, I guess I'll have a good time at Vermont. Oh, you'll have a fine time, said Mr. Johnson, and stood up. Have one more peanut before you go, he said to the boy. The boy's mother said to Mr. Johnson, Thank you so much. It was a great help to me. Oh, it was nothing at all, said Mr. Johnson gallantly. Where in Vermont are you going? The mother looked at the little boy, accusingly, as though he had given away a secret of some importance. And she said unwillingly, Greenwich. Oh, that's a lovely town, said Mr. Johnson. He took out a card and wrote a name on the back. Very good friend of mine lives in Greenwich, he said. You call on him for anything you need. His wife makes the best donuts in town, he said soberly to the little boy. Swell, said the little boy. Goodbye, said Mr. Johnson. He went on, stepping happily with his new shod feet, feeling the warm sun on his back and the top of his head 
Halfway down the block, he met a stray dog and fed him a peanut. At the corner where another wide avenue faced him, Mr. Johnson decided to go on uptown again. Moving with comparative laziness, he was passed on either side by people hurrying and frowning, and people brushed past him going the other way, clattering along to get somewhere quickly. Mr. Johnson stopped on every corner and waited patiently for the light to change. And he stepped out of the way of anyone who seemed to be in any particular hurry, except one young lady came too fast for him and crashed wildly into him when he stooped to pat a kitten which had run out onto the sidewalk from an apartment house and was now unable to get back through the rushing feet. Oh, excuse me, said the young lady, trying frantically to pick up Mr. Johnson and hurry on at the same time. I'm terribly sorry. The kitten, regardless now of the danger, raced back to its home. Oh, it's perfectly all right, said Mr. Johnson, adjusting himself carefully. You seem to be in a hurry. Well, of course I'm in a hurry, said the young lady. I'm late. She was extremely cross, and the frown between her eyes seemed well on its way to becoming permanent. She had obviously awakened late because, oh, she had not spent any extra time in making herself look pretty, and her, her dress was plain and unadorned with collar or brooch, and her lipstick was noticeably crooked. She tried to brush past Mr. Johnson, but risking her suspicious displeasure, he took her arm and said, please wait. Look, she said ominously, I ran into you and your lawyer can see my lawyer and I will gladly pay all damages and all inconveniences suffered therefrom. But please, this minute, let me go because I'm late. Well, you're, you're late for what? said Mr. Johnson. He tried his winning smile on her but it did no more than keep her, he suspected, from knocking him down again. Late for work, she said between her teeth. Late for my employment, I have a job. And if I'm late, I lose exactly so much an hour and I cannot really afford what your pleasant conversation is costing me. Be it ever so pleasant. I'll pay for it, said Mr. Johnson. Oh. Now these were magic words, not necessarily because they were true or because she seriously expected Mr. Johnson to pay for anything, but because Mr. Johnson's flat statement, obviously innocent of irony, could not be, coming from Mr. Johnson, anything but the statement of a responsible and truthful and respectable man. What do you mean? She asked. I said that since I'm obviously responsible for your being late, I shall certainly pay for it. Oh, don't be silly, she said, and for the first time the frown disappeared. I wouldn't expect you to pay for anything. Why, a few minutes ago I was offering to pay you. Anyway, she added, almost smiling. 
It was my fault. Well, what happens if you don't go to work? She stared. I don't get paid. Precisely, said Mr. Johnson. What do you mean precisely? If I don't show up at the office exactly oh, 20 minutes ago, I lose a dollar and 20 cents an hour or two cents a minute or oh, almost a dime for the time I've spent talking to you. <laughs> Mr. Johnson laughed and finally she laughed too. You're late already, he pointed out. Will you give me another four cents worth? I, I don't understand why. You'll see, Mr. Johnson promised. He led her over to the side of the walk next to the buildings and said, stand here. And he went out into the rush of people going both ways, selecting and considering as one who must make a choice involving perhaps whole years of lives. He estimated the people going by. Why, once he almost moved, Ooh, mm, mm, then at the last minute thought better of it and drew back. Finally, from half a block away, he saw what he wanted and moved out into the center of the traffic to intercept a young man who was hurrying and dressed as though he had awakened late and frowning. Oh, said the young man, because Mr. Johnson had thought of no better way to intercept anyone any anyone than the one that the young woman had unwittingly used upon him. Hmm. Where do you where do you think you're going? The young man demanded on the sidewalk. I want to speak to you, said Mr. Johnson. The young man got up nervously, dusting himself off and eyeing Mr. Johnson. Well what for? he said. What did I do? Well, that's what bothers me most about people nowadays, Mr. Johnson complained. And he complained broadly to the people passing. No matter whether they've done anything or not, they always figure someone's after them about what you're going to do, he told the young man. Listen, said the young man, trying to brush past him. I'm late and I don't have any time to listen. Now here's a dime. Please get going. Oh, well, thank you, said Mr. Johnson, pocketing the dime. Look, he said, what happens if you stop running? I'm late, said the young man, still trying to get past Mr. Johnson, who was unexpectedly clinging. How much do you make an hour? Mr. Johnson demanded. A communist, are you? said the young man. Now, will you please let me? No said Mr. Johnson insistently. How much? Dollar fifty, said the young man. And now will you, do you like adventure? The young man stared and staring, found himself caught and held by Mr. Johnson's genial smile. Well, he almost smiled back and then repressed it and made an effort to tear away. I've got to hurry he said. Mystery. Do you like surprises? Unusual and exciting events. Are you selling something? Sure, said Mr. Johnson. Do you want to take a chance? The young man hesitated. 
looking longingly up the avenue toward what might have been his destination. And then, when Mr. Johnson said, I'll pay for it, with his own peculiar, convincing emphasis, turned and said, well, okay, but I've got to see it first. You know what I'm buying. Mr. Johnson, breathing hard, led the young man over to the side where the girl was standing. She'd been watching with interest Mr. Johnson's capture of the young man. And now, smiling timidly, she looked at Mr. Johnson as though prepared to be surprised at nothing. Mr. Johnson reached into his pocket and took out his wallet. Here, he said, and handed a bill to the girl. This about equals your day's pay. But no, she said, surprised in spite of herself. I mean, I couldn't. Please do not interrupt, Mr. Johnson told her. And here, he said to the young man, this will take care of you. The young man accepted the bill, dazedly, but said, probably counterfeit, to the young woman out of the side of his mouth. Now, Mr. Johnson went on, disregarding the young man. What is your name, miss? Oh, Kent, she said. Mildred Kent. Fine, said Mr. Johnson. And you, sir? Arthur Adams, said the young man, stiffly. Splendid, said Mr. Johnson. Now, Miss Kent, I would like you to meet Mr. Adams. Mr. Adams, Miss Kent. Miss Kent stared, wet her lips nervously, made a gesture as though she might run, and said, how do you do? Mr. Adams straightened his shoulders, scowled at Mr. Johnson, made a gesture as though he might run, and said, how do you do? Now this, said Mr. Johnson, taking several bills from his wallet, should be enough for the day for both of you. I would suggest perhaps Coney Island, although I personally am not fond of the place, or perhaps a nice lunch somewhere and dancing, or a matinee, or even a movie, although take care to choose a really good one. There are so many bad movies these days. You might he said, <gasps> struck with an inspiration, visit the Bronx Zoo or the planetarium. Anywhere, as a matter of fact, he concluded, that you would like to go. Have a nice time. As he started to move away, Arthur Adams, breaking from his dumbfounded stare, said, but see here, mister, you can't do this. Why, how do you know? I mean, we don't even know, I mean, how do you know that we won't just take the money and not do what you said? Well, you've taken the money, Mr. Johnson said. You don't have to follow any of my suggestions. Well, you may know of something you'd prefer to do, perhaps a museum or something. But suppose I just run away with it and leave her here. Oh, I know you won't said Mr. Johnson gently, because you remembered to ask me that. 
Goodbye, he said, and went on. As he stepped up the street, conscious of the sun on his head and his good shoes, he heard from somewhere behind him the young man saying, Look, you know, you don't have to if, if you don't want to. And the girl saying, Well, but it, unless you don't want to. Mr. Johnson smiled to himself and then thought, Oh, that he'd better hurry along. When he wanted to, he could move very quickly. And before the young woman had gotten around to saying, Well, I will if you will. Mr. Johnson was several blocks away and had already stopped twice, once to help a lady lift several large packages into a taxi and once to hand a peanut to a seagull. But this time, he was in an area of large stores and many more people, and he was buffeted constantly from either side by people hurrying and cross and late and sullen. Once he offered a peanut to a man who asked him for a dime, and once he offered a peanut to a bus driver who had stopped his bus at an intersection and had opened the window next to his seat and put out his head as though longing for fresh air and the comparative quiet of the traffic. Now the man wanting a dime took the peanut because Mr. Johnson had wrapped a dollar bill around it, and the bus driver took the peanut and asked ironically, Hey, you want a transfer, Jack? On a busy corner, Mr. Johnson encountered two young people, who for one minute he thought they might be Mildred Kent and Arthur Adams, who were eagerly scanning a newspaper, their backs pressed against a storefront to avoid the people passing, their heads bent together. Mr. Johnson, whose curiosity was insatiable, leaned against the storefront next to them and peeked over the man's shoulder. They were scanning the apartments vacant columns. Mr. Johnson remembered the street where the woman and the little boy were going to Vermont, and he tapped the man on the shoulder and said amiably, Hey, try down on West 17th, about the middle of the block. People moved out this morning. Say, what do you, said the man, and then, seeing Mr. Johnson clearly, oh, well, thanks. Where did you say? West 17th, said Mr. Johnson, about the middle of the block. He smiled again and said, good luck. Well, thanks, said the man. Thanks, said the girl, as they moved off. Goodbye, said Mr. Johnson. He lunched alone in a pleasant restaurant where the food was rich, and only Mr. Johnson's excellent digestion could encompass two of their whipped cream and chocolate rum cake pastries for dessert. He had three cups of coffee, tipped the waiter largely, and went out into the street again, into the wonderful sunlight, his shoes still comfortable on and fresh on his feet, Outside, he found a beggar staring into the windows of the restaurant, the one he'd just left. And carefully looking through the money in his pocket, Mr. Johnson approached the beggar and pressed some coins and a couple of bills into his hand. This is the price of the veal cutlet lunch, plus tip, said Mr. Johnson. Goodbye. 
After his lunch, he rested. He walked into the nearest park and fed peanuts to the pigeons. It was late afternoon by the time he was ready to start back downtown. And he had refereed two checker games and watched a small boy and girl whose mother had fallen asleep and awakened with surprise and fear that turned to amusement when she saw Mr. Johnson. He had given away almost all of his candy and had fed all the rest of his peanuts to the pigeons. And it was time to go home. Although the late afternoon sun was pleasant and his shoes were still entirely comfortable, he decided to take a taxi downtown. He had a difficult time catching a taxi because, well, he gave up the first three or four empty ones to people who seemed to need them more. Finally, however, he stood alone on the corner and almost like netting a frisky fish, he hailed desperately until he succeeded in catching a cab that had been proceeding with haste uptown and seemed to draw in toward Mr. Johnson against its own will. Mister, the cab driver said as Mr. Johnson climbed in, I figured you was like an omen. I wasn't going to pick you up at all. Well, it's kind of you, said Mr. Johnson ambiguously. If I'd let you go, it would have cost me ten bucks, said the driver. Really, said Mr. Johnson. Yeah, said the driver. Guy just got out of the cab. He turned around and gave me ten bucks and said, take this and bet it in a hurry on a horse named Vulcan right away. Vulcan, said Mr. Johnson, horrified. A fire sign on a Wednesday? Huh? What? said the driver. Anyway, I said to myself, if I got no fare between here and there, I would bet the ten. But if anyone looked like they needed a cab, I'd take it as an omen, and I'd take the ten home to the wife. Well, you were very right, said Mr. Johnson heartily. This is Wednesday, and you would have lost your money. Monday, yes, even Saturday. But never, never bet a fire sign on a Wednesday. Sunday would have been good now. Uh, yeah, well, this Vulcan don't even run on Sunday, said the driver. Well, you wait till another day, said Mr. Johnson. Down this street, please. I get off on the next corner. He told me Vulcan, though, said the driver. I'll tell you, said Mr. Johnson, hesitating with the door of the cab half open. You take that $10 and I'll give you another $10 to go with it. And you go right ahead and bet that money on any Thursday on any horse that has a name indicating, let me see, Thursday. Well, grain or uh, any growing food. Grain, said the driver. You mean a horse named like uh, wheat or something? Certainly, said Mr. Johnson. Or as a matter of fact, to make it even easier, any horse whose name includes the letters C-R-L. 
perfectly simple. Tall corn, said the driver with a light in his eye. You mean a horse named uh, like tall corn? Absolutely, said Mr. Johnson, and here's your money. Tall corn, said the driver. Thank you, mister. Goodbye, said Mr. Johnson. He was on his own corner and went straight up to his apartment. He let himself in and called, hello, and Mrs. Johnson answered from the kitchen. Hello, dear. Aren't you early? Well, I took a taxi home, Mr. Johnson said. I remembered the cheesecake, too. What's for dinner? Mrs. Johnson came out of the kitchen and kissed him. She was a comfortable woman and smiling as Mr. Johnson smiled. Hard day? She asked. Oh, not very, said Mr. Johnson, hanging his coat in the closet. How about you? So-so, uh, she said. She stood in the kitchen doorway while he settled into his easy chair and took off his good shoes and took out the paper he'd bought that morning. Here and there, she said. Well, I didn't do so badly, Mr. Johnson said. Couple of young people. Oh, fine, she said. I had a little nap this afternoon. Took it easy most of the day. I went into a department store this morning and accused the woman next to me of shoplifting. And I had the store detective pick her up. Oh, I sent three dogs to the pound. You know, the usual thing. Oh, and listen, she added, remembering. What? asked Mr. Johnson. Well, she said, I got onto a bus and asked the driver for a transfer. And when he helped someone else first, I said that he was impertinent and quarreled with him. And then I said, why wasn't he in the army? And I said it loud enough for everyone to hear. And I took his number and I turned in a complaint. I probably got him fired. Fine, said Mr. Johnson. But you do look tired. Do you want to change over tomorrow? I would like to, she said. I could do with a change. Right said Mr. Johnson. What's for dinner? Veal cutlet. Oh, I had it for lunch, said Mr. Johnson. And that is the end of our story. I ask you to please remember that if you're in the mood for more, we have a collection of fast asleep episodes ready and waiting for you. And please don't forget, each one of them contains a masterpiece from a gifted author. These are really good stories. Please take advantage of them. And good night.